Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories. Galley Story oh, Galley Stories. Redo. Redo. You don't have to redo it. Just nope. Let's just do it. Hello right? guys and welcome back to another episode of Galley Stories. Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I am your host Mark Kaler. And today we have with us uh, Casey McManus. Some of you might know him from the uh, Cornelia Marie. Uh, some might know him from other places. How are you doing today Casey? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. It's nice to be uh, back in town. Just got back from Disneyland, had a big family trip. And... So, so all those Facebook posts look fun. Oh, man. It never stops. It's like when I get home from the boat, it's kind of weird. You go up there and you work so hard, you think of all this fun stuff you could do. You get home and then all of a sudden you get that paycheck from working so hard on the boat. And lo and behold, hey, you got some money to spend, so you go out and do all that fun yeah. stuff that you thought of. And then right about the time you run out of money, it's time to fly back to the boat anyway. Time to go back to the boat. So, so uh, you've, you've got kind of a unique start in the fishing industry uh, because you were definitely raised in it. Yeah. Well, I started out awfully young, um, going up there with my dad. Uh, he was crabbing and trawling back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I was born in 83, and I went to Alaska for the first time in 88 uh, with my dad, or 89, right in there. I was five or six years old, and the, uh, he had a gill netter called the Kimberly, and I went up there and spent some time with my dad and my uncle pat and uh it was the life for a guy who was five or six years old it was so much fun my job was to actually figure out the different species of fish and separate them out and uh you'd put them in these different brailer bags per species and if i screwed up on what brailer bag i put them in i didn't get paid you know and it's funny now because i turn around and i look back at it and it's not like i really got paid anyway because at the end of every summer I got a brand new bicycle, right? Got a Huffy. And uh, I got to go in and pick it out and everything. And I thought I was styling until I was 17, 18 years old. And I'm digging through my parents' file cabinets. And I find the fish tickets from back then. Uh-huh. And I see how much freaking money my dad was making off and that kill netter. And I'm going, oh! And he was hanging out with all the Highlanders kicking butt. And, I mean, he was he was doing well. And you were getting a Huffy, not even a Diamondback. I wasn't even getting a, Yeah, I was getting a Huffy. I mean, I... I you maybe got at the time it was a forty dollar bicycle. That was probably ten fish. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it was just like, oh my god, really? But it was a good thing because it, you know, it kept me kept me uh, hungry and humble. And uh, growing up, that was a it was a good thing to have. You know, I, I look back at it now and I, I appreciate it so much now that when I took my son up on the Cornelia Marie this summer, uh, he was pushing fish out of the out of the troughs and into the fish holds. And at the end of the summer, he got a $100 bill for his college account, and he got to go in and pick out a brand new bicycle. And that's Charlie. Oh, did he get a Huffy? He got a diamond back. <laughs> it was funny you said that, because, or a mongoose, I mean, he got a mongoose. And we didn't even talk about that in a No, dance. no, it was, it was, uh, it, but that's the way I learned, and I looked at it, and I looked back at the way my dad raised me and everything he did for me, and, you know, he never gave me anything. He didn't give me money or anything like that, but he did give me opportunity, and he gave me advice. And the advice that I heeded that, generally came with an opportunity worked out well and sometimes I took the opportunity but not the advice and it, it fought against what I was what what was planned for me to go on or what I had in my own head and probably it was so, beneficial to learn your species that young too I mean oh I could considering sort, it's, I could sort fish like nobody's business you know and I continued on with him even after he, he only had the gill netter for a few years and uh, got rid of that and then I'd go up with him and the different trident boats he was working for trident after that partially during that and then right after that and um, he's running the fleet for him of catcher boats and all those catcher boats would tender in the summer. And, uh, so I'd go up on the Pacific Viking or the Viking Explorer with him or the Arcturus or Aldebaran, whatever one was around. Um, you know, and Norman, 
uh, Norman Bach, and he was on the Aldebaran for part of that. And his son Blake was with him, and it was uh, it was fun to go up there with him because Blake was like a year younger than me or something. We were jumping off the wheelhouse all summer oh, and yeah. swimming and playing around in southeast in the warmer waters, and it was uh, a hell of a way to grow up. I wouldn't trade an ounce of it for anything. I look back and everybody, a lot of my friends these days, you know, they go, whoa, you know, it was no fun for the summers for you because you were always gone and we were at home playing war and out in the woods and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, man, you guys, you guys missed out. Yeah. I had it going on. You know, I was, I was making just a tiny bit of money, but I was having the time of my life. And I was on a fishing boat. I was learning all sorts of new cuss words. I had <laughs> naked girl calendars to look at, which I got another funny story with Charlie about that in my boat recently. But I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff to learn when you're well, when so you're Char- that age. Charlie, at this point, is about the age you you started going up too, right? Yeah. He's... So Charlie's the same age, actually. Uh, he came up same age, same age as when I did. And uh, you know, his mom called me, Sarah, my wife. She calls me up. She goes, "Hey, uh, he's starting to be a little bit too much of a handful." And I think that's pretty much a conversation that happened between my mom and dad, too. I was right. being too much of a handful at home, and, and I had to get booted out and, and go be with dad and, and, you know, get taught the right way and everything and, and toughen up. So I, uh, I got shipped up, and I got that same phone call from Sarah, and I realized what that was going to be like. And, and I was like, you know what? I was the same age. I had the same problem. So I, I, I called uh, our business partner, um, uh, one of our business partners, uh, Roger, and I asked him if he'd be okay with me having Charlie on the boat and everything because, you know, we're still a partnership. It's not mm-hmm. like I can just make a decision and go with it. So mm-hmm. Roger said, you know, I don't see a problem with that. Just keep him safe. And, of course, we had a life jacket on him the whole time. And mm-hmm. he not allowed outside of the boat without a life jacket. He had his own survival suit. He could put it on in under a minute. He can turn his light on, knows how to activate knee perb. At six years old, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Yeah. You know, he's, he's ready to bail. Yeah. Now he's telling me he wants to go crab fishing, and, right? And I was right. like, "Well, what do you mean, Charlie? You're, you're a little too small to go crab fishing yet, you know?" And, and he goes, "Well, Taylor and DJ said that if I put in a full summer, that that's usually how you get your crab drop." <laughs> you know? And I said, "Oh no, dude, it doesn't work like that when you're six. <laughs> well, it's time well counted for, mm-hmm. right? Time well counted for. Well, he's got some sea time under his belt already. So you're, he's, so you, you plan on taking him up this next summer? I think, yeah. The last year I got him for a month and a half in the summer." I think this year I'm going to take him up for the whole summer, um, if if Sarah will let me. Um, he's definitely going to earn that crab spot at that point, isn't he? You know, if he does, he'll probably be one of the youngest guys. I mean, there have been a lot of guys that have gone out for their trips with their dad and king crab and whatnot. Uh, but that was back when they used to fish king crab into June, you know, and, and all that. And it was much nicer weather. October, it can get pretty yucky pretty quick. I, I think it's almost a tradition. I mean, when you hear Chuck talk about Joe, he took Joe out real young. Yep. You hear uh, your, your dad, Jimmy, well, talk about you. He says he takes you out real young. Took me out real young. And then you look at Joe's son, Lawson. Lawson just went out with me this time. Yeah. You know, and he's 24, mm-hmm. I think, 23, 24, 25. I can never remember how old he is. It's kind of, it's kind of still trying to keep that family connection, you know, while... Uh, always. Uh, it's always family. No, no matter where you go in the fishing industry, it's very hard to find... There, there are guys who have done it without any family connections, but it seems like if you have family in the fishing industry, gen, generally at least one of the the kids from the next generation is going to continue to carry that torch. And I don't know if it's because of the mindset of fishermen or the the pride of your dad being a fisherman, then you want to do it, or I don't know what why that is, 
but it seems like anybody, you know, if their dad had a boat, a lot of times the kid will take it over later, even if they have to go out somewhere else and work somewhere else for a while. Um, you always end up with the family. So, you think that played a big part for you? Uh, you know, right after high school, it, it played a huge part for me. You know, I uh, and even during high school, I was, I spent time with my dad. You know, on all this time on the Trident boats and and having fun. And then pretty soon, my dad was like, "Hey, uh, you know, you're mechanically inclined." I'd torn apart several of his weed eaters and and tried to weld them to scooters and stuff and and this that and the other thing and and he knew what i was capable of and he says you need to need to get get up there and go uh tendering with harold he needs a chief big harold on the big harold Viking at the yeah. time and uh and i was like you know i didn't know big harold that well then and I, I knew him a couple of times but i didn't know him that well then okay yeah and uh we pretty much walked down to the boat and he he gave me the whole oh, you like the royal viking dad yeah dad i've always liked the royal viking he says all right well you're the chief figure it out mm-hmm Huh? And he goes, well, yeah, this is a centrifuge that cleans the fuel. You'll figure out how to clean that. Harold will teach you. You know how to change the oils. Here's your generators. Only put one online at a time. Go black in between. And split the board by taking the bus tie off and throwing that breaker up. Main engine start levers here. Check the oil here. Water here. Always check your oil, water, then start it. Fuel valves here. Clean your fuel. Here's how. You, here's your day tank. Fill your day tank like this. Here's your fuel manifold. Start at the back. Burn your way to the front. <laughs> Well, that was it. That was, that was Crash Course 101 in case you've been an engineer. We, we've, we've heard uh, other guys say the same thing. They kind of said, here's your tool set. I'm out of here. You know. And, uh, yeah. But let, while, while you were on the subject, just not to stop you where, where we're flowing so good, but Big Harold, we lost him a couple years back. And, uh, and you probably It is. You probably got a story, uh, you know, about Big Harold that we oh, could share. That I got several Big Harold stories. I think my favorite one was the first time I ever crab fished with him. We got back in. We ended up taking the boat to Kodiak. And... Uh, and we went to a Chinese restaurant in Kodiak, top floor of this little building. And I think I had about worn Harold out that trip. I mean, he wore me out physically, but I think mentally I wore him out. <laughs> and I, you know, I think between the two of us, you know, we, we, we were a great team, but God, we would go at it passionately sometimes. I, I, not that I didn't have a ton of respect for him, but... You know, he was about as Norwegian as they got, and I was about as Norwegian and Irish and stubborn as they get. And between the two of us, it was a constant battle right up until we hit the beach. Then we get along great, right? Yeah. God, we would bang heads together out there. And uh, anyway, I remember we get done, and he's, you know, we all sign our end of contracts, and that's it. We're flying out the next day. He says, I'm getting a hotel room. Okay, he can't even stay on the boat with me anymore. Fine. He goes, well, I'm buying you guys dinner. So everybody goes around, you know, and we all order our dinner. And he says, you guys can't drink, which I don't think any of us were 21 anyway. I mean, we were all, we had a young, strong crew then, you know. And uh, and he goes, well, we all order our dinner, you know, and I get the, the dim sum number two special or whatever the hell it was. And it comes around to Harold. He looks the little Chinese lady straight in the eye and says, a bottle of vodka and a straw. <laughs> and he was serious. You know, she kind of laughs. She goes, what do you want? He goes, a bottle of vodka and a straw. <laughs> he was very serious. That was Harold. And that's what he had for dinner was a bottle of vodka what and a, a straw. He was, he was so over it, you know. And there was times, God, he chewed my ass once on the Billiken. He was up there and he said, we're going to set in 20 minutes or something like that, right? So it's... 
it was a nice warmer day out, you know. And so I'm sitting there on a pot towards the back of the deck and laying on the pot for a little bit. And I got up like after a half hour. Maybe it was even 40 minutes, you know, and we're still cruising 10 knots. And I'm going, geez, you fall asleep up there? You keel over? What happened, you know? And I walk forward and I turn around and I look up the up the wheelhouse. And he gets on the hailer and chewed my ass. The hell are you looking at me for? And I'm like, what? And he, what you looking at? And I said, man, I'm just wanting to make sure... I, I, I just want to make sure you're not dead. I mean, you're getting up there, and you said 20 minutes. It's been 45 minutes, you know. God, he was mad at me just because I turned around and looked at the wheelhouse. That old Norwegian culture, it was, it's something. I mean, it's uh, it's a different way of life. And a lot of those guys came from, you know, Carmoy or Bergen or back in that area. And they are hardworking um humble uh and they're they're prideful but they're humble in how they're prideful and this whole fishery the crab fishery that we participate in these days was founded by a lot of those guys they were part of that core and they came over for the boom you know guys like kari ness and tortolison was in there on the ground floors and chuck bundren and uh bart eaton there's a lot of guys that that Put in Carl Johan, even Sfera Hansen, Sig's dad and Sig's uncle. Um, those guys, they were part of that core group of Norwegians that came over, and I got to learn under part of that, which is kind of special for me, mm-hmm. um, because you learn the hard way and you do things the hard way. You know, they say there's the right way, the wrong way, and the Norway. Yeah, you do things the Norway on that boat because that's the captain. That's their boat. They get to tell you how to do it. You know, now after running my own crab boat and everything and looking back at it uh, you know there's guys like Harold and Harley that were hard on me but they were damn good fishermen and I I thought they just thought you know that they were assholes or they were you know they were always going to grind me or whatever their excuse was now I turn around and looked at it and I have the utmost respect for the for the guys that were like that Jim Hill you know they were hard on me but they were hard on me because they wanted to see me do more they wanted to see me do better and uh, and if I didn't, you know, if I only pulled 99% of my wagon's weight, they'd smack me until I pulled 110% of it. And that was right. it. You know, and I'm, I'm blessed to have people like that in my life. Um, do you find yourself doing that to your crew now? I do. I You know, I... I find it a lot of times like... Are you your father's except I'm not. Son? Yeah, but I don't scream. Those guys would yell at me. Harold was a good yeller. Jim Hilt wouldn't yell. Harley didn't yell too much. Harley had a different way... Of slapping you, you know, his he'd get real creative with the way he'd tell you something. You could tell you had him worked up. You know, I I always knew when I had him fired up, but he always got his point across. And he he'd raise his voice a little bit, but he wouldn't. He wasn't a screamer. Harold would straight scream at you, and tell you how big of a piece of shit you were that day. Jim Hilt would get quiet, and 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 Jim Hilt had he was like that. that dad that you were scared of that, that like never got mad but he was just disappointed uh-huh. <laughs> you know and give, that me, was, give me that look yeah and and i took a combination of of those guys plus the guys in the trawl fleet that i worked for you know i i got to work with jeff crane back when he was the mate on the sovereignty and we were working for kaz i learned a lot from him and kaz and clayton um and there was multiple guys in the shipyard you know and jeff jeffries and elmer loose and uh you know norm 
and uh, Glenn, all those guys, Tony Kennedy. There, there was a bunch of guys, Bruce, that that whole Trident Corps fleet that's been there forever, even Jack Mullen, you know. I got a pick by working for those guys and working with those guys in Shipyard. Uh, I got to pick the best parts of each one of those guys, and that's why I am the person that I am. And am I the world's most perfect person? No, but I'm doing the best with the tools that I had to learn from. You, you, had, to, you, had, a, you had a pretty good set of tools. You're like, I had you're a, like dealing with proto it, here. I was blessed to grow up in the fleet that I grew up in. I got I got to grow up on uh, the best boats, best catcher boats in the world. Well, you've been on a lot of them, and uh, so let's let's at some point during your career here. You've had to experience some scary stuff. Oh, like, can you I, remember the first time, or at least the, the biggest time you were scared? Uh, biggest time I was scared. You know, there was nights when I was chiefing on the Sovereignty. 168-foot mud boat. Great boat. Solid boat. Big producer. We got in some weather on that thing a couple of times, and it I had never felt a boat shudder like that boat would shudder every once in a while. We're talking no, big, big waves. That a little bit. It's like a, you know, you plow into a 30, 35-foot wave. I don't want to get get too uh, inflated. With it. I mean, the, the seas out there get big, and there's no, they're, they're no joke, you know. And when you go up and climb the wave and you come crashing down on the other side, well, on a boat that long, you might be spanning two waves, and air gets under the boat. And when the when the tail of the boat comes down and slaps on it that shake you can feel the whole the you know just because a boat's built out of steel doesn't mean it's not going to move right and it shakes and it flexes so you just feel the whole thing shattering beneath oh and it, it shakes real hard and there's some nights where you'd feel that shake and you wake up from a dead sleep and wonder if the back end of the boat was still there it's how oh. hard it would shake and uh that was pretty scary i had another moment we came through unimac pass with big herald him and I were on the Royal Viking, 108 foot Marco, great boat, whale back bow. Still is a and, great boat. Uh, still is a great boat. Uh, that that day it could have just like the Sea Star there we're looking out the window at, but um, that boat could have had a raised bow on it this particular day. We come around uh, through Unimac Pass. It was a little snotty in the pass, and as soon as we came out of the pass and started heading up the hill, it was blowing a hard northeasterly, like a 50 or 60, and I was. I don't know, 18 years old, maybe, or 18 or 19, something like that. 18, I think, headed to Bristol Bay. Big Harold's running the boat, and I'm sitting on the on the port side just BSing with him on the way up the hill, and we start bucking it into these things, and I kind of turn around and keep an eye on the deck, and the deck was secure, and everything was good, and I made a run through the engine room, and I come back up, and I sit down, and they're getting even bigger now. They're taller than the wheelhouse by a long shot. You know, and Harold's over there, and he's throttle jockeying it. Well, we climbed up the face of one of them, and it was big. And Harold went and pulled it out of gear, and he goes, uh-oh. You know, I heard him say that, and I looked out the window, and I went, oh, shit. You know, and I, I rolled out of that chair right onto the floor, that below the dashboard there. And Harold rolled out below the dashboard as well, but I didn't know this at the time. And this wave hits the front of the boat. And I felt the air go past my head from the wave. And it actually came through the cabinet, the cracks in the cabinet. Yeah, Yeah, it was a poof. And I was like, wow, never felt something like that before. That was weird. We're inside a boat. How the hell did I just feel the air from a wave go past my head, right? Or, you know, and I I look over, I I looked up to where Harold was sitting, and, and he's not sitting there anymore. And I thought he'd be laughing at me for diving on that one. He looks at me around the corner of that other dashboard. There's a little L shaped ledge there. He looks at me around the corner and goes, wow. 
That was big. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, to, it was. To see that man, and he was called Big Harold for a reason. Really oh, big. He's big a big man. man. Oh, he's 280 and but six the, foot four. But, you know, the, the years that I've known him, which wasn't near as many as you, I, I had, I've never heard him even express fear. So to, to actually see any kind of fear on him would oh, be a... His eyes were huge. And and that's when, you know, when Skipper gets scared, you better get scared because Skipper's seen it all, right? Yeah. When you're 18 especially, Skipper's seen it all. When he gets scared, you better get scared. Well, we turned around, went with it for a minute, and he went up there, and we double-checked the anchor, made sure that was still tight. We looked at the front of the wheelhouse, and Marcos have this nice soft arch to the front of the wheelhouse, the original Marcos did. And this one now has a nice little soft bend right in the middle of it. <laughs> I know that, I know where that it's wave It's amazing was. how It's still there. The bend's still there. Go look at the boat it's, next time it comes into town, and you'll see a little wave in the front of it. And, that and, was that way. And while Joe Schmidt's weren't in that boat now, right? So Yeah, yeah. Joe. So I like Joe. He's it's amazing guy. how damaging those waves can be, even against steel. Steel doesn't stand up to the power of Mother Nature when it comes to water. Everybody thinks diamonds are the hardest or the strongest things on Earth. Well, there's a reason why they use water to cut diamonds. Mm. It's way more powerful. And it just, it will knock the socks off anything. There's boats sitting down here in Fisherman's Terminal in Seattle that have the wave, or the brow still peeled up on them from wave damage. Sitting right here, you could probably see two of them. Yeah, I mean, the, the progress, um, Tiffany, one of the only female skippers, you know, very experienced skipper. Uh, she knows exactly what the hell she's doing. She just took five or six windows out on the progress and peeled the bow. That whole brow, brow was, like was peeled nothing. up, yeah. yeah. I went over and looked at the boat. It's incredible. And nobody got hurt. She, she was in the wheelhouse when it happened. And she said she wasn't going very fast, but it was gnarly. And that's just the power. And she says that thing just came out of nowhere. Did it take out any windows? Six. Yeah. Six windows. Yeah. Went through six went filled the wheelhouse completely up with water. Oh, the man. inside, it ripped the overhead right off the wheelhouse. All the electronics wiped those out, blew all the breakers, tripped all the DC stuff. It was completely, completely uh, destroyed, the whole wheelhouse. It's going to have to have a new wheelhouse put on it. Right, right. I mean, it was it was incredible, but she she did a good job. She got the, you know, it killed the engines and everything. She got everything fired back up, her and her crew, and she got the boat around. She brought it into Dutch under its own power. Another boat, you know, traveled with her to make sure she was safe. But she had mattresses stuffed in the windows I'm, and strapped up. I'm going to bet that boat that traveled in with her was not part of her fleet. That's just the way that the family works, right? It, yeah. When, it? when no, I don't know. I don't remember who traveled in with her exactly. It doesn't matter necessarily what company you're working for or if you're a privately owned boat or anything. When you're out there and shit goes sideways. No matter the differences you may have had somebody with with you know somebody in the past, all that goes by the wayside as soon as you have a problem like that. Everybody's right there to help you, and they it's because most of those people have you know had their brown pants on so to speak before that from being in a similar situation, sure. and they remember how screwed you know they started saying foobar back in the world wars mm-hmm. well foobar gets used frequently in the fishing industry still right. because boats get destroyed so and, you, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier i want to take you back just a minute just to just for a brief description i know that you said that uh, uh big Harold was jockeying into those waves and as a captain you know what it means a lot of our listeners know what it means but some don't so when you're when you're facing a big wave like this, how are you trying to take it on? What are you trying to? How do you? How are you controlling that vessel, and how are you addressing it? Well, the throttle jockey—that's <laughs> common term. You know, the deckhands will give the captain, "Oh, he's just a throttle jockey or the bus driver or whatever." Well, what you're actually doing is you're you're taking the throttle, taking the power out of the boat as you start to climb a wave, 
and uh, and what you're trying to do is you're trying not to make headway through that wave. You don't want to cut through the wave because then the wave will come over and take out the windows. But if you if you lighten up on the throttle a little bit and slow down just a little bit, and then when you drop off, you can get back on the throttle a little bit and push it towards the next one. So you can maintain forward movement and keep the keep the nose into it or at least bare steerage way. But you have to protect your boat and protect the crew. And sometimes that means you're actually going backwards at a knot or two, but your nose is pointed into it. You know, if it's blowing 70 or 80 out there, which it does, um, you got to keep the nose into it and, and just kind of make do with what you can and, well, until the weather comes back down. And what would it mean if you said you were into the trough? In the trough is a term that you'll hear a lot that's like being in the ditch. Mm-hmm. And we always say, oh, in the ditch like a bitch, right? right. Uh, when you're in the ditch... That means basically the waves are coming from a beam of you. So if you look out the port or starboard windows, you got these big waves and you're sitting there in the ditch. And right from the side. It comes over the side and rolls the boat over real hard one way and then it rolls back the other and hopefully you roll back to the port before the next wave hits. Otherwise you end up with a full deck of water. It takes mm-hmm. a while for that stuff to run off. Uh, and generally you try not to run in the ditch too much. Um, if you're towing, sometimes you don't have a choice. If you're towing a net... You have to depend on how things surge, and and uh, there's a bunch of guys that are much better at that towing stuff than I am that can help you with that. But mm-hmm. when it comes to hauling pots, you don't want to be in the ditch because every one you pull over the rail will swing around like a wrecking ball, right? And right. you can take out the crew. Uh, a lot of times, you want to keep your nose into it for that if you can. Oh. You can set with it, you can set into it. You don't want to set in the ditch, and you don't really want to haul in the ditch either. You want to at least have the boat square when that pot comes over the rail. Excellent. I I just know that those questions are going to come up, you know. Um, Yeah. So um, what about some fun times up there? I mean, you've been up there now quite a while. Fun times? Um, I I know as a a six or seven-year-old kid, you you thought it was like uh, Disneyland. Six or seven years old, my dad was putting me on icebergs, you know, and he'd back the boat away and take pictures. And I'd get to play with my little red Snoopy fishing pole and catch all the fish in the world. I don't know how many flounders died at the hook of this man. You know, <laughs> these little tiny souls and, and stuff like this. And uh, it was it was fun. It was just, you can't ask for a cooler place to grow up. Yeah, but what about as an adult? As an adult? Some, yeah. Oh, my God, it's still fun. You know, now the fun for me is watching my son do it. Uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. You know, one of the funniest things this oh, last summer. Come on, summer. you're trying to turn us into PG. I know you've got. Oh, I got, I got a no, bunch no, of, no, I got no. a bunch of other stories. Go ahead, but bring nothing. Me, go ahead and bring me the Charlie story first. Mm. <laughs> we'll warm it up with the Charlie story. Yeah, so okay. Charlie's up there with me this summer, and he says, "Hey, Dad, what's Uncle John's job?" And Uncle John's been one of my best friends forever. He's my chief on the Cornelia, and uh, and. I said, well, Uncle John, he's the chief. His job's, you know, pretty much here. He keeps the boat running, but he also has to make the water cold. You refrigerate the water to keep the fish fresh. Oh, okay. You know, and it wasn't five, ten minutes later. He's backing up with a fish on a hook. And he goes right into the hold. He's got his life jacket on, so he doesn't really sink, but he goes under for a second. And Taylor Jensen, are one you, of my other deck hands. Are you at this point? Uh, I was back right by the front of the wheelhouse. I was on deck. Taylor Jensen, I mean, the kid barely got wet, but he was clear underwater. But Taylor reached right in, grabbed him by the strap on the back of that life jacket, and picked him right up and set him on deck. And Charlie's sitting there, and his eyes were just huge. And we're all going, oh, what happened, buddy? You know, kind of making fun of him because we knew the whole situation was okay now. And he looks straight at Uncle John 
who I had just told him his job was to keep the water cold. He looks straight at Uncle John and says, Uncle John, you're doing a really good job. You know, <laughs> know this classic. He was so cold. That's all that stuck out in his head was, was Uncle John's oh. job was to keep that water cold. Man, oh. that water was cold. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so, my goodness. It was fun. He had a good time. And uh, uh, he... I think he fell in a second time, too. Oh, God, I probably shouldn't say this. Mom, Sarah's going to get all pissed off at me. I'm going to have to deal with my wife after this when she hears this. But, uh, oh, he had a good time. Then, you know, another time, just recently, we were up crab fishing. And I got a phone call from my wife, and they were in the car on speakerphone. And she goes, uh, you got some explaining to do. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I'm sitting here talking to Charlie, and apparently he saw a booby calendar on the boat, a nudie calendar, girly calendar, she says. Uh oh. I go, Charlie, is that true? And he's on speakerphone. And he goes, Yeah. And I said, Where did you see that? And he goes, In DJ's room, you know. And I go, DJ. And DJ comes up to the wheelhouse. I go, Do you have a nudie calendar in your room? He goes, Yeah. Uh oh. Charlie, see it? And he goes, Yeah. So, you know, so I got Charlie still sitting there on speakerphone. And now I got my end on speakerphone so DJ can hear it. He can hear Charlie throw him straight under the bus. Well, where was this? It was in DJ's bunk hanging on the wall. Oh. And I said, Well, well, was she, like, naked or in a swimsuit? He was naked. Oh, really? Well, she was, uh, was she, uh, like, could you see her boo-boos? That's what he calls boobs. And he goes, yeah. I go, oh. Well, were they nice ones? And Charlie goes, I don't know. I didn't feel them. <laughs> you know? And I was like, well, he's going to be a fisherman for the rest of his life. That's do, you, the- <laughs> do you see him being a fisherman? You know, I could. He he's a thinker. He's always uh, very aware of his surroundings. He likes fishing. He likes going out on boats. He likes the water. Um, I'll encourage him to do whatever he wants to do and wherever his heart takes him. And I'm definitely going to encourage him to get an education. Um, you know, but just like me, I graduate from college, and what do I do? I work on a crab boat. You know, it's. Uh, I want to I want to get back to that real quick too because. We're, we've got some time here, but uh, something I don't want to be skipped over is that, yeah, you run the Karina Marie. It's a crab boat, and a lot of people know the boat. Mm-hmm. But these boats don't just do crab. They are working boats. Oh, the, yeah. So in the, in the they summers, work six, seven I months mean, a year. Yeah. Some Longer crab years, when you had a lot of crab, you'd work eight, nine, ten months a year. Yeah. You do codfish on top of that billiken. We used to work ten, ten and a half months a year, some years. I mean, it, you work hard. Um, you know, and a lot of people, you know, if they're just fans of the show they get to see the um you know the two or three months a year that we work crab fishing or two months lately it's been a month and a half sometimes you know because the quotas are down uh they don't see what we do all summer you know in the salmon tendering tendering. we didn't do cod um we have a llp permit that we could use for cod but we don't have any cod gear and i at this point um it's not quite worth it for us to make the investment into cod gear. Yeah, I, it, it kind of is. It's like borderline. It's and like, I want to do it. Cod was pretty good price this year. Forty-two cents a pound. It was very good price. But we also have other commitments um, sure. right now, and we've committed ourselves to crab heavily. And uh, you know, when I make a promise like that, you know, a promise made is a debt unpaid until I do the job. Yep. So, but in the summers, that boat is still working. Bristol yep. Bay. Or summers, I'm on the boat. Basically, every time the boat moves, with the exception of if I have a public speaking engagement or something like that, 
Kari will come up and run the boat um, for a month or two. Mm-hmm. Or a week or two, I'm sorry. And uh, he, he covered for me this summer a little bit, and he covered for me last summer a little bit as well, which is really nice. You know, when you have a business partner that'll fly right up, and or, you know, he was already up there on his Bristol Bay boat, so he jumped right on. That was a nice deal for me. It just, you know, he was right there, and I was able to continue doing the other stuff outside of fishing, and then I fly right back up, and I get into fishing again. How, is, uh, how has fishing treated you and your family? I mean, where are you at today from the result of choosing this as a lifestyle? Uh, well, I like how you say it as a lifestyle and not a, not a well, career, it because is. it is a lifestyle. It certainly is a lifestyle. Um, but I'm blessed with enough time off where I can really um, have fun, and even though I'm away from my family six months a year, um, maybe seven months a year, when I'm home, I get a lot of time with them, and it's good quality time. Um, you know, there's there are trade-offs. Um, my wife's not always happy that I'm gone so much, and and this, that, and the other thing. When we get into it, I just, you know, well, you like the car you drive, you like the purses you have, do you like the house we have? I have to go fishing to pay for those things. Right. This is not... Uh, a cheap world to live in these days it's very expensive and and fishing's lucrative when it's good and you have to capitalize on those moments when it's good and sometimes you have bad years and when you have a bad year you just got to tighten up the belt a few notches and um you know not not take so many vacations it's not all glamour is it 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 looks like it's all glamour from the outside and it's part of the problem with the facebook and the instagram and all that stuff People don't put pictures on there of their shitty days. Right. They only show you the best days. So when you you go on any of that other stuff where you get to see our social medias, you get to see all this smiling and all this fun stuff, there was so much misery to get us to that point. And that's the one time you bring out of camera because we don't smile very often. I mean, we have fun here and there for quick little windows, but for the most part, it's work, 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 work. And when you do smile, that's the time when you want to share it with everybody. Because you're like, hey, sure. I'm having a great time right it's actually, now. It's actually well put. So what would you suggest for guys that are, are thinking about uh, getting into this industry? Not just as a, as a crab guy, or, you know, but just the industry in general. Because there's so many aspects to it to, that you can yeah, try to... There is. There's, you know, there's not just fishing. There's all the shipyard stuff. There's the welding. There's the refrigeration. There's the electrical. There's the diesel mechanics. Um the painting the, the boat designers doug dixon you know. yeah yeah there there's the engineers for designing the boats and building the boats there's dry dock guys there is so many different aspects to this industry um just on the boat focus side of things then you got the seafood side you know the sales the uh <clears throat> the plant side the processing side there's there's a ton of different aspects and what you have to figure out is what you want to do and how hard you want to challenge yourself do you want the comfort of being home you know, every night or darn near every night, well, then a corporate office job might be a better move for you mm-hmm. or a shipyard job. You're going to work a lot of hours in some shipyard jobs, but you're usually close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a reefer technician, you're probably going to travel quite a bit. If you're a manufacturer in a reefer facility and you're building them, the refrigeration for the nine boats, to five. nine right. to five, you're going to be close to home. You have to decide how much time you're willing to spend away from home and what your end goal is. How much so money do you want? What if their end goal is to get up there? You if your end goal is to get up there and go fishing, get yourself to somewhere where there's a lot of boats and start pounding the docks and go and talk to guys. You think that's still feasible? I think it's very feasible. Have you, have you uh, hired I a guy walking the dock? I personally have hired multiple people walking the docks. I have never hired somebody over Facebook. 
I get a lot of messages of people asking me for jobs and this, that, and the other thing, and I know a lot of, a lot of other captains do as well. I don't want people who sit there and stare at their phone. Mm-hmm. I don't want, don't don't want to have any part of that. Mm-hmm. I want people that are willing to get off their ass and go look for a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, because let me tell you, that guy who is all into Facebook and you look at it and he's got fifty-seven billion posts. That's the guy who. That's what he does is Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I don't want a guy on my boat that does Facebook. I want a guy on my boat that gets off his ass and finds something to do and finds himself work and finds a way to feed himself. Mm-hmm. Taylor, you know, the last guy I hired was actually Zach Wilson. And uh, I hired him because I know his dad. And his dad hired me when I was 13, right? And uh, that's how he got his in with me. Uh, Lawson, before that, I worked for, for his grandfather and his dad for many, many years as an employee. You know, 10 years as an employee, 15 years, whatever the hell. It was a long time. Um, or, you know, on off as an employee, I should say, and sometimes a fisherman. But, uh, you know, I owed it to his family and and him to, you know, for they, they provided for me, you know, from the time I was technically probably six or seven years old through my dad all the way up until I was 29 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, so just because that family did that for me, that's why I hired Lawson. There's the connection. How's he doing? Killer. Lawson's oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And then, uh, and, and Zach did well too. He worked hard. He's He's got, he's younger. You can tell he's younger. He's got some polishing he needs to do, but uh, the potential is definitely there. Um, the guy who I hired before that, uh, I was on the phone next to the Cornelia on the dock, and he was very respectful. For a half hour, I was on a hot phone call, and he gave me enough distance where I could see him. But he wasn't there to eavesdrop on my conversation. And he ran. He looked at his watch, and I saw him look at his watch, and I, I kind of gave him a nod, like I understood that he was waiting for me. And he just ran over and he handed me an envelope. He says, "Don't want to bother you." And and I was like, "Okay, see you, man." Didn't know what the hell it could have been anthrax in this envelope for all right. I knew. I had no idea, right, who this guy was. Young guy though, and I watched him. And he, you know, he was polite. He ran back to his truck, all the way to his truck. He hopped in his truck and he got out of there. And obviously he was late for something, but he was hustling. I noticed that about him, and then I opened up this envelope later, and it was his resume and had a couple of boats that he had worked on in it. And I looked at it, and I went, you know what? This guy's worked on some saners. He's done a little bit of pot fishing on smaller boats, but he wants to get into big boat pot fishing. Mm-hmm. I need a guy for shipyard. And Roger, uh, Roger the uh, Thomas, uh, one of the partners in the Cornelia, he said, hey, we need some guys. He goes, what about that kid that was here yesterday with the resume? And I said, yeah, you know, I think, yeah. Let me look at that. So I looked him up. I called up one of his uh, people he used to work for. I asked him about him. He said he's a great attitude, good worker, yada, yada, yada. So I called this kid up. and I said, hey, you want a job? And he goes, yeah, well, he goes, I want to go fishing. And I said, well, I need the guy for shipyard. If that works out, well, I'll take you for salmon. If you do well for salmon, then you might have a spot for fishing. And uh, he goes, well, all right, when would you want me to start? And I said, where are you at? He said, Arlington. I said, how long does it take you to get to Ballard? <laughs> he said, about 40 minutes. <laughs> I said, all right, be here in 35 minutes. You got yourself a job. <coughs> so that was it. What was, so, what was the time? Uh, he made it in about 32 minutes okay. <laughs> from Arlington to Seattle. And uh, and he was there. And when he showed up, you could tell that he showed up to work. He had his cart hearts on. He was, you know, half dirty already. And, uh, hey, what's my first project, boss? That was that he, fast. He probably left something sitting there, hot burner somewhere else. We're, mm-hmm. uh, but we're about out of time here, Casey. Uh, first of all, I can't thank you enough for coming. Oh, no problem. Uh, but before I let you go, uh, we're, we're doing this segment, mail, mail call, a little mm-hmm. bit of reading it. And uh, and folks will hear this right on another one because I also want to get Doug Dixon's response when I... when I The mail call, that's fitting for you. 
isn't it? If it was for me, it'd be Mail a call. female call. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 burn, burn. So I just want to read it to you because this, this, I really wanted to do this one during your segment because of who it's from and what it's about. All right. Uh, it's from Jeff Eaton, uh, and his oh, subject yeah. line is, listen to the podcast. Uh, very nice. You know that my dad can tell a good story. He'd be able to fill up a three-part series. I've always thought that getting his stories on tape would be a hoot. Not sure who you have in mind to talk with, but there are many stories floating around Shulchul. You're doing a great thing with this. Looking forward to keeping up with the podcast, Jeff. And that's uh, Bart Eaton's son. Oh, you know, if if you could get Bart in here, uh, it's going to be difficult to get him in here. Because he doesn't like the fame for all this stuff. And he's going to tell you, oh, there's other stories recorded and yada, yada, yada. You need to get him in here. Jeff, uh, Bart has the best stories on planet Earth. And he was the guy, if you look at Captain Jack's book, there's a quote on it by me. And it says, I've known Jack a long time, but I've never let him, never known him to let a little bullshit get in the way of a good story. I stole that quote from Bart. Because <laughs> he used to say that about a bunch of other people. You know, and including me, probably. But uh, it, Bart is a colorful character. He lived through a lot of the developmental times of a lot of the fisheries in Alaska. And he was a ground level, uh, you know, boots on the ground, rolling in the dirt, jumping out of helicopters. Carrying to a save shotgun. People's lives, shotgun on his back for bears. Uh, he was, he's a very interesting guy. And, he's, and still and is. A, oh, he's, he's so accomplished and so humble. And he's built a great long line fleet, and he's just—he's a—he's a brilliant man, and he's knowledgeable. His history. Every time I hang out with Bart, it's like a history lesson. I always learn something, and it's not just about fishing history, but about world history and war history. Very, very well read, well educated man, and uh, his stories are incredible. And I've—I've I've been blessed to be a fly on the wall for a lot of them, mm-hmm. where. You know, a lot of big players in this game have laughed about losing a lot of money on bad decisions, and and they all sit back right now over a beer and a glass of wine. They laugh about it, and and I sit there and I'm just I'm in awe, mouth drop, keeping my well, I don't keep my mouth shut very well, but I do a little bit. But running the barbecue and listening to these stories, it's incredible. And if if he's willing to share some of that with you, God, I hope you can get him on here. I'm I'm, I'm hoping Jeff to lobby his dad for you. Well, I think uh, he's already working on it. Good. Uh, it's like a, he might be over in April, and we'll try to get him cornered then. But you know how it is to corner someone like Bart Eaton, you know. Yeah. But, um, well, Casey, again, thanks a lot for coming out today. And uh, we're, we're going to encourage people to write in with any questions. Hopefully you'll answer them if they have them for you. Um, I'd well, be happy to write. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, you, you, anybody has any questions, send them to Mark. We'll answer them through there on a public forum. Or you can always hit the uh, Captain Casey McManus Facebook page or... Or the uh, FV Cornelia Marie Facebook page, Twitter, it's McManus underscore Casey. And, uh, and I can answer any questions on those, too, if you guys have any questions. Perfect. Or if you want to tell me I'm a jackass and you don't like what I said today, whatever. It's been, it's been pretty smooth. I think that uh, people are going to see a side of you they haven't seen in a, in a, in a 42-minute uh, TV show. But, yeah. um, uh, again, thanks a lot for coming out today. And, uh, guys, um, why is this 42 minutes anyway? Are you leaving room for commercials in the uh, future? Absolutely. Is that what you're doing Sponsors here? Sponsors can contact me at, no. Oh, God. Now uh, so, you, so Mike Rowe's podcast is great, but now <laughs> he's, he's running the partner no. the, the uh, uh, sponsors all the time. Now, listen, guys, uh, um, any questions for Casey or any of the captains you've already heard on here, uh, go ahead and send us an email at mark at galleystories.net. 
and uh, really enjoyed having you today. Again, it's been Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond, and we will see you next time. Hang on, I'm going to be your first paid advertiser. <laughs> this is Captain Casey here to tell you all to buy wild Alaskan seafood. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. He just ten put, bucks. I, he want, just, I want a 20-second spot for he ten He just bucks. put a $10 bill down on the table. All right, guys, again, we will see you next time.